Welcome to the Plans and Provisions Podcast, your source for homesteading and preparedness information and inspiration. We're so glad you're here. We'll be talking with some incredible folks, sharing ideas, and learning what we can do to become more independent and resilient in these interesting times. Now here's your host, Jason White. I've said it before, and it certainly said a lot in the homestead world, chickens are the ultimate gateway animal. For many, the first time they got a few laying hens in the backyard was the point at which they would say they first started their homestead journey. For my wife and I, it all started with four hens and two ducks. It only grew from there as we forged ahead on our path. We had to start somewhere, and while due to lack of experience, that first backyard flock sadly didn't last us very long, we did learn some valuable lessons that we would apply to our ever expanding homestead journey. Well, in today's episode, I welcome Jake and Becky, who share how they got their start on their journey with six hens on a rented one-acre homestead. Things really took off from there as they grew their flock, outgrew their first homestead, and began building a very successful YouTube channel called White House on the Hill. In our conversation, Jake and Becky share their initial transition from living in the city to homesteading and building a new life for their family. We get to hear some of the early challenges of building their channel as well as what drove them on during times of doubt and negativity. They give some great advice for those who are struggling to build their content creation business and share some valuable lessons they've learned along the way on their homestead. Jake and Becky, thanks for joining me. Glad to have you. Sure. Great for having us. Hi. Great for having us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so I, I know you guys because of YouTube. Um, and while I'll admit I don't sure. follow you nearly as closely as my, my daughter does, um, I've been able to kind of catch glimpses of of your life and your story. And um, I can thank you because she keeps her room pretty clean because she can't watch white house on the hill videos in the evening if the room's not clean so um she's watching about three or four <laughs> happy to help yeah. <laughs> she's about three or four nights a week she's getting to watch them if that gives you any idea of her performance but um yeah you guys awesome. have definitely uh grown a, a pretty significant channel over the years and uh we appreciate what you're doing i'm kind of curious so where you're kind of where you were before you got into to homesteading and doing YouTube and kind of what that journey was like. Ooh, one to the way back machine. <laughs> so Becky, so we, we've been married for gosh, 16 years now. And we lived in Kansas city for about 10 of them. And about five, six years in, we had our first son, Eli. And that's where everything started changing snowball snowball rolling towards the homesteading thing where we were in the city accumulating debt becky wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and so where i had to uh, pick up more jobs picked up a lot of side jobs where i was working four or five different jobs every day and and got to a point where i just didn't want to keep going that way i saw it was like we weren't getting ahead at all and so we were trying to figure out how to get out of debt, how to pay off things, how to sell our house. It was through the like kind of the housing crunch of like 2008. And it was until 2015, we tried to sell our house for like nine years. And we finally were able to 
sell the house even and take a little bit of a loss in the process, but we were able to get out of it so we could start over. And so that's when we kind of reanalyzed our goals in life and what we wanted to accomplish. And, and we moved out to the country about 30, 45 minutes north of there, close to St. Joe, Missouri. And we decided to rent so we wouldn't get stuck in another house that we would maybe get stuck in the way we were before. And then that's when things started to change. We were, I was getting jobs that I could travel and drive around to do, but at least it was, it gave us a fresh start. It was, we were, everything was cheaper living. We had paid off our cars and we didn't have a home payment. So we were able to eliminate a lot of our debt through that process. I didn't have to work as much. And at that point we had our first two sons. We have four children now, but we had our first two and Becky was able to stay home with them. And then I was able to be home more. And then that led us kind of down the homesteading road because we were renting on a farm property at that point. I had always wanted chickens in town and we had enough property to do it, but he was like, well, we're, we're going to sell. So just, just hold out, hold out. And so when we finally moved to the farmhouse, I was like, oh, ha ha ha. Now I get to have my chickens. And we originally just wanted six chickens. I just wanted some fresh eggs because I grew up with chickens and on a farm and, and, uh, always, always loved that. And so, uh, we just so so Becky she she grew up on a farm out in the country kind of near where we rented and I grew up in the city I grew up just south of Kansas City near Olathe and so I had never experienced the farm life anything like that but Becky always knew that's what she wanted to get back to and so it was new to me but and then kind of new again to her but it was something she always wanted to do and then what did we do from that point we had like six chicks or yeah we went for the farm store just uh picked up whatever random chicks that we found there and and then uh took them home, we started doing some research on it to YouTube, you know, uh, seeing how we should raise them, how should we house them. And we came across some YouTube videos that some family vlogs that they were staying home and that's what they did for a living. And, and that really uh, motivated us to uh, just change our way of living and stuff. So, yeah, it was like a combination of, of that where we were, so we were seeing these YouTube videos seeing these husbands home with their, their families. And so they were doing what we wanted to do where, you know, they could, they could grow their own food, they could raise animals. And then they were finding ways to sustain it by making money through their farm. And so that was really attractive to us, but it just kind of opened our eyes to this whole homesteading thing because up till that point we were just like, Oh, we just want chickens for eggs. And then all of a sudden we realized it was like this whole bigger thing that we could do. And so we didn't realize all the other things we could grow, how easy it was to transition from, you know, just some chickens to some other animals. And, and then we saw families that were a lot happier than I had been for years, just with going to, going to work and coming home and not getting to spend much time with my family. And so it just opened my eyes to like, oh my gosh, there's this whole other world that exists out here. And I could be, I could see my kids grow up and, and then we started learning about where our food came from and just everything that's wrong with the whole, the food industry. And so we really wanted to, we were really motivated to find ways to grow our own food. And, and so at that point we're, let's see, that's like 2016. And then in 2017, we started our YouTube channel and we started getting more birds 
And then, uh, cause we we're still renting. So we couldn't really have cows and pigs and different things. And then we hatched out a number of birds from, um, some more rare exotic chickens to mandarin ducks and red golden pheasants. And then we hatched out an emu and that kind of changed everything, pushed us down a path because we didn't know what we were going to do with an emu because we were on really about an acre of land on a really big farm. And, but we thought, well, when he hatched out, he was little, but it got to a point because they grew about a foot a month for about six months. And it got to a point where he was getting really big and we were having to figure out how to house him. And then it ultimately became a thing of either we're going to have to get rid of him or we're going to have to find another property that we can actually keep him at. And so that's what motivated us to start looking for our own place. And this was, uh, so we started that in 2017. Now we're in 2019. And that's when we found the the farm we're at now. Um, we're about 30 minutes from where we were at before. We're on about 40 acres and, and we're able to have all the animals we want. And now we have bees and milk cow and, and pigs. And uh, we're working on a large aviary and, and so we're able to do all the, the things we'd ever envisioned. Um, and so that was kind of the, the whole process. Full time thing now. Yeah, where it started out, YouTube just started out as like a hobby or a part time thing. And now it's all of our, it's our full income is, is through social media. Very cool. So you, you mentioned some YouTube videos and things. It sounds like, it sounds like you, you made the move out to the country there really just out of a desire to live a simpler life, not necessarily motivated to kind of do what you're doing now. And then you started becoming kind of led and inspired by certain YouTube. Like what, what are some of the YouTube creators that kind of got you motivated early on? There were about three or four right off the bat when we were looking up just how to raise chickens. And uh, this was 2016. So it was Justin Rhodes had just started his YouTube channel. He was under like 20,000 subs. Now he's over a million subscribers. Um, and then, uh, Blake Kirby, I think his dad, daddy Kirby's farm. He was raising chickens down in Texas. Uh, John Siskovich was raising like meat birds up in, I want to say he's in Connecticut. And then, uh, Dan Omen with the grass fed homestead was a channel that Dan, or I'm sorry, that J- uh, Justin had inspired, Justin Rhodes had inspired to, to start. And when we saw him start from nothing and kind of move out, he kind of did everything we wanted to do before we did it. And so he started out and just started filming his process of moving to like a 10 acre farm and then getting animals for the first time. And so that really led us to believe that we could do it ourselves. And we connected with Dan early on in our homesteading journey and we've stayed in touch with him and and Justin and and then all these other uh, Blake Kirby and these different people that we we're big fans of it at first and now we're like peers with them. And so it's brought it full circle, but yeah, they, it really helped just open our eyes to this whole other world. So Justin with his family and, uh, and then, and then Dan with his, with his son, um, just, we loved seeing that interaction with their, their kids that let us believe that, you know, this is something that we, we desired at that point. Yeah, I can relate for sure. We 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 started looking for a property in the Ozarks in twenty early twenty one, and that year I really just started kind of hitting YouTube. And I had a background. My wife and I both had spent some time on farms and things like that, so we weren't completely 
you know, out of the loop and, and unexperienced, but so much has changed and there's so much more, like you said, around two, 2016, just kind of a boom of, of content. And, uh, yeah, we found a lot of inspiration from a lot of the same, a lot of the same people. Did you, did you have any background in, in like content creation or, or, or video work or anything like that, that kind of got you a, a foot up on this or? Not in video. I was a graphic designer um, out of college. I never really did a whole lot with it. I ended up doing like, I was a 911 operator for about five years. And then I got into um, installing alarm systems, worked at a bank. Becky and I both worked at the same bank for about five years um, during that time. And so when we started YouTube, I just bought a, a point and shoot camera. I started watching videos on how to edit through my Mac through like Final Cut Pro. And, and so the first ones were, I was really, I just remember spending so much time trying to just edit to the music. And, and uh, when I look back on it now, they're, they're just awful videos, but I thought they were so good. I was showing Becky and I was sending them over to Dan at Grassfit Homestead and just like, Oh man, everybody's going to love it. And then we posted every day for a month and we had uh, one or two subscribers at the end of that 30 days of posting videos. And I just, I didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't share it on like my personal Facebook or anything. I just wanted to see like if YouTube, how they, how it worked and how it would like push out your stuff to other people. And, um, during that time, well, uh, let's say, so about editing, I didn't know what, what I was doing, but, uh, it was something where, uh, cause a lot of people will ask like how to get started in that. And, um, they'll see our videos now and they'll think, you know, how in the world, do you get to that point where you're making, you know, somewhat prettier, more peaceful videos and stuff? And it just, it takes a long time. We have maybe 600 videos now up on our channel, but the first hundred is where I did the bulk of the growing and the growing pains of like trying to figure out how to, how to film, how to tell a story, um, you know, just how to edit better. And so it was that whole process that is how we figured it out. It wasn't anything that we knew going into it. You know, I might've had a, a decent eye for like photography and how things should look, but really had no idea about video or editing. So it really just took that process. And, and then as far as our channel growing, it was, you know, a couple sub subscribers that first month and, uh, Justin and Rebecca actually were on the great American farm tour where they went all around the country. And it was, and uh, it was about July 4th. So it was about two months into our channel that they came out. And we actually, Rebecca was our 10th subscriber on our channel. And then they filmed out there and, and kept moving along their tour. And we, and so we, that was the biggest jump when we, they put out a video and then we, we had about 250 subscribers. And, um, but we really, I just remember the first six months just thinking, being so uh, discouraged because I thought it was going to grow so much faster and it did. I felt like I was putting out better videos than I was seeing on other channels that were doing better. And um, ultimately it worked out, but I just remember that first six months, almost a year where I just thought like, it doesn't seem like it's growing fast enough. And I don't feel like we're ever going to get to where we want to get with this. And, but it's just something, if you just, if you want it bad enough, um, you know, you stick with it and you just keep working through the growing pains that, it'll work out. I, I see a lot of other, um, some of our friends that are really, that are struggling with trying to make it a, a more sustainable income for them. And, and that's the thing is I, some, 
keep fighting through until they make it and some get discouraged and then they quit and look for some other avenue. And I just, I think everybody can make it if you, if you want it bad enough. Yeah, I can relate. I'm, I'm just about to hit a year with this podcast and there's been, there's been a few moments where, and I committed to two years. I said, I'm going to do this for two years, no matter what, if no one listens, I'm going to do it for two years, almost to a year. And, um, and starting to see some, some, some things go in the in the right direction. So I'm pretty pretty excited about this year. But you said a hundred videos was kind of your that was what it took for you to really learn. Maybe a turning point. So yeah. how long did it take you to get to that hundred videos? It was probably four, five, six months, somewhere in there. And so at first I, I did like one every day for like thirty days. And then that was my first goal. And then we started going to like three, four videos a week. And then probably the second year it was down to like two, three videos a week. And now we're uh, five, six years in, we're doing one video a week. And so we put a lot more time and effort into each video where some things are, are, would take a lot longer to film, but initially it was just figuring out how to do everything. You don't know what your style is going to be early on. Um, Cause everybody, you, emulate who you see and who you watch and you try to be like them. And then at some point you make it your own. You try to figure out what's my style. What, what am I trying to accomplish with these videos? Am I, you know, cause if anything, if nobody watches, at least we have a, a video diary of us and our kids and our journey. And, and it, it's something where when we watch it, I really don't enjoy watching a lot of the early videos. They're really painful. Uh, they're just, there's no story. And things that I thought were like cute or funny or good editing or anything, they're just, they're so cringy now to watch. But the stuff we do now, I really enjoy watching more of it back. And so that's what I would encourage people to do is some people just want to make it big or they want other people to enjoy it. And if you enjoy it, you'll find, you'll find an audience for it and you'll enjoy making it because you'll, you'll enjoy the process of, of going through it. And at least you'll have the videos for yourself, even if it doesn't take off right away. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I heard somebody say, and I kind of took this to heart when I started my thing was you have to be, you have to be willing to be a disaster in order to be the master, or you have to be willing to be the worst at something in order to be the best at something. So I think a lot of, I know a lot of people and in, in myself included on certain projects, I just was too proud to be a failure, you know, and you have to kind of, yeah. you kind of have to suck at it at first, whatever it is, if it's something. No, really- that's great. I was, I was thinking back when, when Justin came to our place and he was about a year into his YouTube journey at that point, And, and I interviewed him, um, for our channel. And I asked him like, what do you have to do to get better? And now I can't remember. That might've been the exact words, but he basically said, you have to, you have to, I think he said, you just have to get better, uh, through the process of like, how do you, how do you keep making better videos and how do you just that whole process of growing? And he's like, you one, you just have to make more content and then you just have to get better. And he was like, I know it's really simple. And I think Rebecca laughed at it when he said it, but he's like, it's the truth. Like you, you won't get better unless you just keep working at your craft. And I think he always said like, you need somewhere. It's like, you need to have 10,000 hours in something to become like an expert and so just the more you do any of this, the, the homesteading thing, we're still figuring out, but the content creation, I, even though we're still trying to figure out a lot of it, like what, what our goal is with so much of it, I just feel like it's a lot simpler 
now because we have a lot of the behind the scenes stuff figured out. So now it's more just what's our story going to be. And not everyone, you, a lot of times, you know, it's really expensive to get started with equipment, with cameras and microphones and editing software and computers and all of that. And it's, you really can start with something simple. If you have an iPhone uh, or some something with a decent camera on it, and then some kind of computer that you can edit on, you can put together videos. You don't have to have, there's really minimal quality difference between our camera now as much as we love it and it's, it can be higher quality, but on YouTube, you just, you can't just demonstrate the difference between like 8k video to 1080 video. And so it just, I, I think some people want all the gear before they make the videos and really you can make really good videos with just basic gear and do it on the cheap and really find out if it's something you want to do before you really commit to investing a lot into all of the, the gear and the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, just because you have a surfboard doesn't mean you're a surfer. Um, in the, yeah, you know, in those early years, which go ahead, which we do. I have a, do I have one of. The, I was going to say I have one of those. Uh, oh, got it on some spring break trip a long time ago. It's like one of those knee boards or wake boards or something like that. But yeah, I'll never be a surfer. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 but yeah, it'll look cool on the bit. wall though. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, drive around with it on your car in Missouri. Turn heads. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> When, oh, and I, yeah, I've but, got my uh, my Ron John stickers and stuff just to prove that I'm legit or something like that. Right. <laughs> Ron John, my Ron John surf shop stuff. Yep. Yep. Nice. Um, so you you were kind of in those early days. Like, well, I'm kind of uh, that early stage around year two here of, you know, my podcast, my homestead. And, you know, we don't have any income coming really from anything but off farm jobs right now. And, uh, you know, for us, it was a, a pretty big change of pace moving from the suburbs where, you know, I was able to make plenty of money, uh, for the most part. Um, my wife was able to stay home, uh, homeschool the kids, um, and do all that, you know, that transition, we're kind of at that time where like, we're getting this ball rolling, you know, we don't have the, the online income really coming in just yet. We don't have the farm income. We're kind of just at that really that beginning stage, what was that like mm -hmm. for you guys when you were first just kind of getting that ball rolling? Ooh, so here I can set Becky up with this one because we, like the first six months, um, I was working a job that I would go to. I was working um, at Royals games. And so when the Royals, the Kansas City Royals baseball team were in town, they'd be home for a week and I'd have to go to the stadium every day for a week. And then I'd come home, uh, I'd be home for a week or something when they were on the road. And so those times when they were at home, I would have very little time during the day. I'd go out, do chores and maybe film a couple things. But basically I relied on Becky a ton um, to make content and then I could go into work and I could edit things. And so what was that like? Because I was like, oh, what are we going to film? He goes, I, I don't care. Just anything, <laughs> everything. And yeah. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> so we me and the kids would just go out and do the chores or try to do something. And I was like, uh, why would anybody watch this? Like, this is just life. But I don't know. And then when you wanted to quit the job, it was really scary. I was like, uh, are you sure this thing is going to not fall through? And so that jump was really scary when we 
quit all our jobs. And- yeah, because we, so I was working a seasonal job there at the Royals games for the summer. And then I would have the, the winter off before the next season. And so really we would, we would save our money. We were out of debt. So we were just putting that money away to make it through the winter. And then after our second summer of doing that, our channel just started taking off. We had a, like a peacock hatching video and a couple other videos that were taken off. We got on the trending page on YouTube and it started to take off and it was making more money than our, my baseball job. And then, so we took that, that winter off again. And then the next spring, then I told the baseball stuff that, you know, I am not going to come back this time. And it was really hard to, to give that job away. It was kind of a hard job to get. Um, but yeah, that was, I relied so much on her that first summer to just give me content to work with. And so I would film a couple things and then she, I needed her for like the bulk of the story on our first, like three months of her channel. I really relied on her to, to, to make a lot of content that I could edit. So at least we could just put, keep putting stuff out on, on YouTube. And, and so some of it, there's a lot of people that one, if you're at like a full-time job, it'd be really hard to create that much content because that content helped us learn the skills um, needed just to get better at creating content. But like our storytelling was not there at all. So that was something that we learned over time once we we're like hitting our head against a wall. Like how do we, you know, actually make an impact with this content. And so that's where, that was something that we learned along the way. And, but that was really big to have Becky willing to help because otherwise I would have taken way longer to make those videos. And it would have been a lot longer process for me to get going because I was at work so much of the time. Um, So that really helped. And then, yeah, we went from, you know, no income to a part-time income to a full-time income in about a year and a half. And so like, as far as you're saying, um, that's something I always uh, tribute to is that we we were in a, like a part-time business before we got started and we failed with it, but I learned a lot of good skills with that. One was to keep work. Like when you were talking about doing this for two years before you would you know, assess it and look if you need to quit or whatever. And we were in a business where they said, you know, do it for five years. And we gave it every bit of five years. And it was a a multi-level marketing business. And we would see some success, but we really never saw a ton of success in it. But it taught us so many things about working hard without seeing results, learning how to take care of your finances when you're self-employed, um, cause that's a lot of scary for a lot of people when they're used to like your job, taking care of a lot of, um, your, your taxes or your, your insurance and things like that. And then it just made us a lot, uh, a lot tougher, I think, to be able to handle working on our own because some people, it can be hard to, to motivate yourself to, you know, I need to go out and make content today. There's going to be days that you're going to be really discouraged. Um, you know, it's really fun for a long time. And then as soon as you start getting some negative comments or something bad goes on and you're like, I don't know if I should show this or not, this is, you know, then people will know that I don't know what I'm doing, those kind of things. And, and when you work through those and then you start to, you know, people start to see your journey and we still, we get more hate than ever now, but 
which might be a fun thing to talk about, but it was, it can be really discouraging that that week that we were on the trending page was at first, it was the greatest week. And then it quickly became the worst week of our career because then all of a sudden we had eyeballs on us that were nowhere near interested in homesteading. And we actually, in that peacock hatching video, I trimmed some feathers on a turkey and I had so much hate from people that didn't know that thought I was like killing this turkey and, uh, or a duck or something, but they thought I was harming this animal. And I just got so much hate from it that I just, I, I went from answering every comment to like, Oh man, I got to shut the computer and, and not read this stuff. Cause it's getting really hard to deal with. And, um, so I don't know where that question began, but basically it was, uh, working for yourself is a lot tougher than working any other type of job, but being disciplined, um, to take care of your finances, to, to create content when you don't want then when you don't want to, and then to give it your best shot to where you don't, you don't quit before you find that breakthrough. Wow. Yeah. I, I was going to ask kind of what, like what pushed you through in those early days, but it sounds like that, that five year experience kind of prepared you and hardened you and trained you for that. And so while that may have been a, yeah, a failure, which I've got my share of these stories in our life, you know, the things that just didn't mm-hmm. make any sense and seemed like a total waste of time actually prepared you for what you're doing. But then when you get into the, as you saw more success and you started getting some of that hate and the negativity, yeah. so, you know, that's a whole different, that's a whole different energy and a whole different vibe. Like what, what um sure. what what pushed you through and what does push you through all of that well initially becky was helping me with comments for the first 6 months of the first year because we were st- as a, the channel was starting to grow then we're starting to i couldn't do it all cuz there were days that i would spend i spent the entire day once when i was trying to reply to every comment and then it got to a point right around that trending page stuff when I spent like the entire day just responding to comments and I said, I can't, this can't keep up because I just can't, then I can't make content if I have to respond to everything. And so Becky was helping me through that, but then it got to a point where they're insulting her or our kids. And, and then it makes, it can really uh, affect you mentally when you go out to create content that you're thinking about, Oh, people are going to judge this about me or my kids or my, the way our choices of life or having, you know, that are our animals that, you know, people realize that we love, but then some of them we have for food. And so a lot of people don't understand how we can, you know, have use our animals for food sometimes. And, um, but it became to a point where I had to shelter Becky from that some where I just said, you know, just stop reading the comments. I'll deal with it. And I'd rather her just be free to just help me when I need help doing whatever we're doing around the farm and helping us create content. But is there anything you can remember with the comments that affected you? Uh, I don't know, just the negative stuff, I guess. Were there any that still stick with you or have you forgotten them all now? It's I been, forgot them all now. It's probably been four years, four or five years since she's been in the comments, but every once in a while I'll tell her some when we put out a video. You and tell then, me the good one. I'll tell her the good ones, but once in a while, I'll tell you the something that really, oh, the, the that, weird ones. yeah, something that's creepy or weird. And just cause I think it's funny, 
or why I'm choosing to do something because people, if I don't explain something well in a video and then people all say, well, why didn't you do this? And I'm like, I did, but I didn't explain it in the video. And so then I'll say this time, this video, now we need to explain it. So, um, but yeah, I don't know that there's times though, that the, the comments will really on a video, I'm trying to think of one of our recent videos there. One was about um, a peacock that we were trying to figure out if he had any diseases because all of his siblings died. And then in the process of taking him to the vet clinic, he got his, his uh, wing broken. And so to me during the process, it seemed like it's because they were drawing blood from the wing. And I thought something happened at the vet clinic and people in the comments were accusing me of the cage setup and different things that I broke it. And, and, um, and some different things happened along the process, but it was really hard because I was trying to do everything I could for this peacock to figure out if he was going to be healthy enough to be combined in with other birds. And I was frustrated with the vet clinic. And then, so for a lot of people to come and attack me for when I thought I was trying to do the best I could for this bird, it became really hard where I was like, Oh, this is the hard part of, of sharing sometimes is that, you know, you want people to see your content and to enjoy it, but when they tear it apart or they attack you personally, it just really discourages you or you just want to take some time off or you step away from comments for a while. Or when something else bad happens after that, you're more reluctant to share it because you're just tired of the hate that's going to ensue from it, where your, your real fans are going to understand you're doing the best you can and you're really trying to care for these animals. But some people just drop by and then they leave a nasty comment and it really can stick. And uh, so that's the hard part is trying to fight through it and still be transparent and still be honest with everybody and showing what really happens. And, um, and that, that can be discouraging. And so that's the thing that, you know, it's just hard to imagine doing this for five, 10, 15 years from now, but you know, it's one of those things that I, is a constant battle where I love when something good happens because it's, then I'm excited to share it. But when something negative happens, I'm, I'm going to share it because I know, you know, we just trimmed our, it might help somebody else. It's out. somebody, somebody else will get something out of it. And so at least if somebody that actually is, does something with it, it'll help. Um, Cause we know a lot of people that either just enjoy this lifestyle or maybe they're, they're sitting at their home in the city and they enjoy it, but their, their insults are a little different than somebody else that's really going through what we're going through. Cause that's what we, that's why we've, why we found YouTube is because we were looking for information and stuff. And so like putting information on how to do stuff or our experience of how we did something, it helps out other people. And that what's really, we are excited about, but when things go bad, then you kind of want to show that too. Like, Oh, well, this can happen to you. Like, um, you were going to talk about, we just dehorned our, um, cow and yeah. we watched videos on how to do it. We, you came across what, two or three that, mm -hmm. uh, were successful in it. And then you're like, Oh man, there was some that there's, they should have showed that. And then when we did it, it was kind of surprising. It was like, Oh, <laughs> wasn't going as planned. So as showing it, like, that's the way it can go or it can go even worse or it can be a lot better. So it's just sharing our experience with it. So, so everybody knows 
Yeah, and that one had comments from like, you know, they just, just like us, we hate to see our animals in pain, but it's such a momentary pain um, where, you know, the calf hates going through it, but immediately afterwards is like running around the field and doing just fine. And it's so hard to convey that to people. Like, I know it doesn't make any sense for this five minutes. It doesn't make sense to put our animal through this kind of pain to like burn on their head to burn the horn off. And, but then we've seen where there's some places that uh, they didn't dehorn and the animal will, you know, yeah, we've seen another animal get gouged by a cow or their kids or something. Yeah. You just know it's not safe for your family. So we know it's worth it, but there's times when people don't understand at that time, where they just think like everything in nature should just be un- left untouched. Yeah. When we go work with our bees, when we go work with our bees that, you know, us interfering is causing more problems than, than help. Um, so that's the hard thing to convey sometimes is one that we want to interact with these animals and it's hard to, to, to make everybody one, you'll never make everyone happy. Um, and it's always a learning process because yeah. as soon as you get a new animal or even if it, our chickens, we've had chickens for how long now? And it's like you something new comes up or they get a new uh, disease or we're dealing with uh, parasites on them and stuff. And yeah. it's new to us. We never had the problem with it. But then you have to research and figure out what to do and how to you know, protect them from that stuff. So it's just always a learning process for us. And that's been a hard process because for a long time, people have given us credit just making content on video on uh, YouTube that they've seen our chickens and they're always like, wow, your chickens look great. They look, they look really healthy. And then this season in our lives, we're going through like mites and lice and, and uh, internal worms. And it's like, wow, I feel like we're just getting attacked just on our farm and we're trying to show how we're, we're beating it. But then immediately as soon as you show flaws or show any problems, then people say, well, you didn't, you don't know what you're doing because you would have, you would have known how to prevent this before it happened. And so that's the hard thing to, to deal with sometimes is to keep showing our, our real life and that things can go wrong, but we can still deal with it and overcome it. Well, I want you to know that I, I really admire the fact that you guys are so transparent with, with with all of that i mean just i watched the dehorning video uh a couple weeks ago um and yeah it's a little tough i think for even for people who may i've never seen it before and you know i've got steers i've got you know i'm a i'm a farm guy i'm a homesteader um i think for people who are completely you know detached from this lifestyle that that's a tough thing to see mm-hmm. And for you guys to do that, yeah. knowing full well that you're going to trigger some people and that you're learning and you're going to do it and you're going to put it out there for for all the world to see. I mean, I, I just think that um, there's so much value there. So just I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know that, but know, know that that's worth, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that's worth, you know, dealing with the, uh, the kind of the, the, the negative comments and, and the and the attacks. Cause I, I really admire it. In fact, you've inspired me to be pretty transparent with what, what I'm doing here. I do a monthly update on the farm and mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I try to say, you know, this is what has screwed up and this is what went well. And, and I just, I think it's, I think it's valuable cause you see too much 
you know, glamour shots and, you know, fake fronts Mm -hmm. in, in this space. And, uh, I think people can get the wrong, the wrong impression and have unrealistic expectations and then start doing it themselves and be surprised when, you know, their chickens have issues or this comes up. And so I, I just, just, just want you to know, I think it's, I think it's great what you guys are doing with that. I appreciate it. That's, that's the tough thing sometimes that I, um, so with our beekeeping, we're getting better. It's like our third or fourth year into it now, and we're getting better every year with it. And we're having a really good success this, this winter of, of keeping our bees alive. And, and, uh, but I'll still see video or comments on some of our old ones. And there's like a really viral beekeeper right now. That's really popular for her calmness with, with bees. And I always see comments now that are like, uh, after, you know, watching this person's videos, you know, why can't you be more like them? Or, and, um, and it used to be on our hatching videos, if something went wrong, they would say, oh, this other channel, that's a really big hatching channel. They would say, you know, nothing ever goes wrong on that channel. Uh, he knows what he's doing. You need to watch more of him. And so that's the frustrating thing is knowing that they've had to definitely make mistakes. They've had to learn through things that they, they would not have gotten to be an expert. They did without going through those things. And so for people to think that one person can be perfect and then you not being perfect is a problem. Um, that's the, the frustrating thing is to go, well, where's their videos of them learning this? Like, you know, how are, how are they so perfect? You know, just for them to really think it through that everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So y- you mentioned hatching and I know you guys do a ton. In fact, you've inspired us. We were already mm-hmm. planning on, you know, we want to breed chickens and we've got a few breeds that we're really excited about and want to be able to sell them and, and get them out in the community. And we want to be as sustainable as we can with our own birds. Um, but, you know, since my daughter's found your channel and since we've been here, uh, you know, she's just become a chicken nut and um, could tell you, nice. I mean, she knows there's been times we've been out working on something and I was designing a tractor and I said, Hey, what, what a white house on the hill do? And she's, she's giving me details of what you guys are doing. And, <laughs> um, so it's, that's been great. But I, I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit about, about hatching and incubating. And it sounds like it's something that you guys got started with pretty early on. Yeah. Did you start with chickens? Or did you start with the emus? Like, where did you start with hatching? Start with ducks right no we we did chickens first yeah the the duck video was our first one on our channel but we hatched out some morans i bought some eggs off ebay winter 2016 so we had got into chickens 2016 and through that year we started we grew it up to probably 30 40 50 chickens that first year and then i wanted to get my hand at hatching we borrowed an incubator a little styrofoam little giant incubator from somebody and I hatched out some Morans in there and we actually have one of the Morans that hatched out during that we still have and we actually had a close call with her last night where Becky had to kind of bring her back to life but um, that was our, our first hatch then and I quickly realized that incubator was there are a lot of flaws with it and so that made me kind of curious one about I love the hatching process and I could probably go on a lot of different tangents with it, but it also kind of made me inquisitive about all the different incubators. And now at this point, I don't know how many I've tested, but 
typically every hatch I do now, I'll bring in a new incubator to do it with. And so it's probably been about 15 and I usually give them away on our channel after I test it. If it's a really good one, I'll, I'll keep it and I'll just send somebody a new one. But usually I, so that way I don't have a bunch of incubators just piling up in our garage, but usually I'll test out um, three, four every winter. And then I'll use our, our good ones. Our good ones right back here is our um, Brinzi Ova Easy Advance 100 is a big cabinet incubator. That's why we hatched out bamboo our emus in. Um, but usually we'll just test out all kinds of incubators. We've, uh, we started with chickens and then, yeah, we, we hatched out some, some Pekin ducks. It was like our first hatching video, um, like from start to finish. And that was different for us. I think that was something that I had seen a few videos like that on YouTube where they showed the entire process instead of just like showing the, Hey, I'm putting the eggs in the incubator, come back next time and we'll see how, how it turns out. And so that really gave me this uh, a bigger picture or a bigger idea for a video was to show the entire process, show the incubator, show what goes on throughout the process, doing the, the egg candling and then the hatching and then showing the chicks. And some of them we've even shown, um, I think we had one that was, we got, we had a few eggs from, from Europe and we hatched out Poppy, this uh, white face, blue Spanish um, really pretty chicken. And, um, I, I held that video back, I think for about six months. And so we showed the whole hatching process and then hatched her out and then showed her what she looked like grown up. Um, but yeah, then we got into, um, the red golden pheasants, the mandarins, um, all oh, the peacocks were, were right after the, some of the chicken breeds we did and the duck breeds. Um, and then we got into emus. And so, yeah, we'll get questions all the time about, you know, what temperature and humidity do you use? What do you do if this happens? Are my chicken stuck in the egg? When should I try to help it out? And so those, those are questions we'll, we'll answer quite a bit. Um, but that's kind of the fun of it is that I try to show a little bit of that in every video of like, you know, I'm going to try everything I can to resist helping this chicken because I know if people see me help that chicken, then they're going to think, you know, I should be helping a chicken. There's so much that can go wrong. You can cause bleeding and different things like that. So I try to take people through that process of what my mindset is while we're doing that. And, and, uh, we've tried a few crazier things. We had somebody from, uh, a place from California that was, uh, like a bird rescue kind of place. Yeah. And they sent us, some um, some, um, uh, no, no. What were those called? They're the cranes, cranes, uh, some crane eggs. Cause they hadn't had any babies in years and they thought maybe their, their birds weren't actually sitting on them and incubating them. And then they sent them to us and we tried to hatch them out and they didn't hatch. And then they eventually had them actually hatch out, um, from their own birds. But so that was fun having some people. And that gave us some bigger dreams of like, man, we'd really love to work with some really rare exotic birds. Like we we're really, I'm pretty passionate about the Kiwi bird. It's in the ratite family with the, with the emu and the ostrich, but it's a really little bird. And so, uh, it still lays a pretty large egg, kind of like the emu egg. That's, um, I've got one here. That's like, uh, like seven, eight inches thick, uh, wide, but uh, the Kiwi is very small. 
Like the, it makes up like 30 to 50% of its size of its body. And they're only in New Zealand and they're losing quite a few of them every year to, to I think coyotes and um, to, to birds in the wild or to animals in the wild. But um, that's one we would love to work with and bring more attention to their cause and to help them hatch them out. And I don't think they'd ever let them leave uh, New Zealand, but we'd love to at least be part of the process. So that's something that just through the hatching thing has really helped us open our eyes and made us kind of dream big with, you know, what could we actually do with this on a bigger scale? Yeah, no, that's really cool. So all of your exotics you hatched pretty much, is that right? Like the, the mandarins and the the pheasants? And, and all. Yeah, so yeah, the mandarins I bought, and I wouldn't recommend that, um, buying them as hatching eggs. They usually don't ship very well. Um, but I did buy them as like a pre-sale on eBay and they sent us six eggs in like April. And then, um, cause they only lay like one or two batches of eggs every year. And so most people will hatch them out. Most people will hatch out Mandarin ducks and then they'll just sell the, uh, like a, like a breeding pair later in the year. And so that's usually what I suggest to people now because the eggs are one, they just don't ship well. And then the birds are worth so much now that it just makes more sense to sell breeding pairs. Um, red golden pheasants. That's how we, that's the only way we could get eggs was to buy a breeding pair. And then we've hatched out a lot from them. Um, but emus, emus we've, uh, so the emus, the mandarins, our peacocks, and then all of our chicken breeds. Yeah. We've hatched out anything, um, new or exotic we've hatched out from eggs. So really the red golden pheasants were the only ones that we, we had to get a breeding pair to get the eggs. Now, do you, is there any kind of a, a, like a profit plan with that? Do you sell eggs or sell breeding pairs or is it just kind of enjoyment there? Or what, what does that look so like? So for us, it's more just for fun. So one, because it hatching out like the red golden pheasants, the mandarin ducks, um, it's good content every year. It's a lot of fun to hatch them out, but we typically sell off all the offspring. And so for us, it helps us have something to do. And then we're able to, to sell to others. I think I, I just did a uh, an interview for an article that was about using birds to make money to sustain yourself on a homestead. And yeah, it was all about uh, being profitable with it. And we're we're definitely not very profitable with it. We, we just do that more as a hobby, like the selling of the birds, but there's people that have, have done it. We've gone, we went somewhere to buy some ducks like a year or two ago. And there was somebody that was in like the middle of Missouri that had just tons of birds and different pens and cages and was doing that more of a, more of a, a full-time income. But no, for us, it's really just a hobby and to help off, offset some of our, our feed costs and things like that. Yeah. And they create pretty, uh, pretty attractive, uh, content as well. <laughs> There's not a lot of emus running around yeah. on uh, YouTube. I don't think. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're hoping to get eggs from them. So we actually can hatch out more, but we've really, that's been a struggle is getting just two emus to breed. They're ours are four years old now and, and our, they were raised in our house. Um, for the first couple months. And so they're really friendly with us as people, but they're not, our male is not attracted to the females and he's four now. And so really he should start 
thinking of himself as an emu and being attracted to the emus. But so we've had to, we had to get some more males this winter to help with that. And it may take them a year to adjust, but that's something we're excited about is to, to breed them, to get more eggs, to kind of experiment with that whole world. And because we really enjoy it, it's been four years since we hatched out our first emus. And so that was a ton of fun when they were little. Um, but then through that process, we'll, we'll figure out some different, what we're going to do with them long-term. Like we're going to have some for ourselves. We'll probably sell some eggs. We'll probably sell some, some hatched, um, emu chicks. And then, you know, one of the things is we're always curious, people tell us like the meat from emus and ostriches is really good. The oils from it's like really good for you. And so kind of experiment with some of those things as well. So obviously the, the current lineup there, you probably wouldn't, uh, they're, they're more pet, pet status, but you think you might be able to, to harvest yeah. some, some of their offspring? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's got to be a pretty significant, uh, you need a pretty big oven to roast that turkey, I would think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd probably have to cut it up. I yeah. don't know. That'd be, I didn't even think of it as if you do it as like a, a turkey, uh, like a full emu. I mean, obviously there's no meat in the legs and then the neck, but that body right. is, that's, that's big. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. They weigh, I think of like o- over a hundred pounds. So, um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be quite a piece of meat. Yeah. Probably like maybe a 40 or 50 pound dressed weight, maybe something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. well, I'm, I'm definitely interested in that. Uh, the the, uh, the 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 utility of the emu on the homestead, <laughs> um, yeah. So I look forward to that that video. But um, so you guys have been through a lot. You've been at this for several years. If you could, if you could go back in time and give yourselves some advice with everything you've learned over the last um, what's I guess it's been about six or seven years since you started. Um, yeah. What would you uh, What would you tell your first year? homesteading selves. What do you think, Becky? I've got some ideas and Becky can think about some, but though the thing I see, and it was something that we wanted to do too, when we were early on is you want to, you try to achieve so many things so fast. You want to grow all of your food. You want to, you know, you want everything to be sustainable and everything to have a purpose. You want, um, you want all of your chickens to, to lay eggs and hatch out a uh, dual purpose birds that can provide you meat and eggs. And um, I see a lot of people that they're trying to do everything all at once. Um, Especially right now. Yeah. It seems like everybody's want to experience everything right now. And... Yeah. When there's, well, with the egg crisis that's going on right now, um, man, just the, everybody kind of flocking to the country um, just from what's happened through the, through the pandemic and how everyone's like, okay, let's, this is everything in the city is crazy. Let's see if this homesteading world's any better. And so people want to do everything as soon as they get started. And, um, I think that's a really quick way to burn out, um, through the process. And so I, I think through the beginning, when we're trying to do so many things that you find out what you're really passionate about, what you really love doing. Um, growing a little, we try to grow a little bit more food every year than we did the previous year. And so we keep building more raised beds and finding more ways to streamline it. We got, we dug a well this year and, um, 
see there I go. That's, I'm trying to be like a new homesteader bragging about all the things I'm doing. <laughs> so that, that's where I, I, well, that's what I see. And that's what I did. And that's what I see a lot from people that are getting into it is that they, they want to do it all. And they want everybody to know that they're doing it all. And I think it's a really quick way to get burnout and push, stretch yourself too thin. And there's a lot of ways to supplement everything. Right now you can still rely on, you know, hatcheries to provide your, your meat chickens course you always want to like have a plan in place you know if things really get really bad and you have to grow all of your own stuff and you find out you know do i have things in place to be able to do that but starting out that way is it's sometimes a mistake too like just start out small just just if you've never had chickens uh, maybe just have a few hens and see how that goes and then the next year try meat birds and then the next year try the turkeys because that's what we kind of did and that's i really enjoy appreciate that with we started small and we grew small each year before we just first year we buy a milk cow i think we would have been like okay let's get out of here because <laughs> that's that's a commitment that's definitely a definitely a commitment going out there milking every day and so and i see some other like youtube channels that they'll say you know how do you guys have time to ever make videos you know i'm out in my garden every day of the year and and so it's like figuring out your priorities, like one, you have, you want to grow all your own food, but if you, if you need to do something for income, then you've got to make some time for it. And so figuring out your priorities along the way, making growing incrementally so you can sustain it to make money to, to pay it off. Because if you're just having to go to work to pay for your, your homestead and everything you're doing, I just think you're going to, you're going to, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to, create so much uh, debt or fi- uh, expenses with this chicken feeds gotten really expensive over the past year. And so it can just make it really hard to do this um, as a hobby, especially if you're wanting to keep growing it. But that's what I had seen is, is how much one that we tried to accomplish early on. And then I see other people getting in there and, and they, they want like credit whether it's whether they're on social media or they're just getting into it more as a, as a hobby, um, as like I'm a legit homesteader, I'm doing all these things, you know. I don't, I don't know. I just think they they might stretch themselves too thin. And I I remember getting some comments early on that were like from people saying they were 60 years old and they grew up doing it and then they got burnout and now they don't even have chickens, but they love watching people doing it, but they got burned out. And that was something that I always kept in the back of my mind is I don't want to be 50, 60, 70 and not living this lifestyle. Cause the whole point of living this lifestyle was to eat a healthier diet, to be outside. And so I don't want to go back to the way that we were, where we were more sedentary, sitting in front of a computer, uh, doing my job for work, which I still have to be in front of a computer a lot to edit, but to do it full time, you know, we wanted to be outside in the garden, working with the animals and being with our family and being with our family. And so that was uh, something that I've always tried to keep in mind is not to do anything too much, too fast. So we don't get burnt out and don't enjoy the process of it. Words of wisdom. I'm, I'm having to uh, remind myself that about every quarter, um, <laughs> you know, um, but we've we we started pretty steady this first year. Uh, the second year, we're we're looking at 
you know, new things to develop, but trying to really have like a, a five year vision at a time and look at it kind of in that way. Let's fill the five years up rather than fill that one year up. And, and yeah, um, I think, uh, I'm enjoying the process, but I'm also listening to people like you and other people that I've heard. I mean, I think Joel Salatin says, I bring it up quite a bit. The average lifespan of the homestead is about six years and probably because people mm. just chase that instant gratification of we need to get this place filled up and fully operational and then yeah they they just they bite off way more they than they can chew and so yeah i, I mm-hmm. like that advice a lot i was thinking back uh, one of our earlier things we were talking about was you know what's what do you do with your social media um if you're say you're trying to grow that as a homesteader uh, what do you do if it doesn't just take off and make money for you? And that was something that I remember in the first, maybe at about a year or something where we started one, we, we went to events to be more immersed in the homestead community. And, uh, and then we started working with other homestead type businesses. And so we, we looked up like local hatcheries um, we went to like a Missouri organic conference and worked with them, made videos with them. And, and so we started looking at like, Hey, I'm starting to learn how to make these videos, but I don't have a lot of traction or momentum on YouTube yet, but Hey, is it some, I was looking for, how can I help other people with this? And so I remember making a video for Heartland Hatchery. That's like in, um, he's about an hour and a half South of Kansas city. And it, it posted on, I posted on YouTube and on Facebook and I hadn't really posted anything on Facebook and it like, it blew up because the guys he's been selling, um, chicks around Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Arkansas for about 30 years or something like that. And so tons of people had known him or gotten chickens from him, but he's so not on social media in any way that when they saw a little video of him, everybody got really excited and they loved it. he still is like really excited about that video that we made like three, four years ago. And uh, so that was something that was just a, a surprise where we were like, you know, Hey, this might not work out for us right away, but let's see if we can show this as a useful thing for other people. And, and so that was a lot of fun just kind of tracking down different businesses that we wanted to work with. We went to McMurray hatchery and, and did a tour there. And I don't think they'd really let anybody else do a tour there before we had done that. And, um, and some of these other conferences and then going to the homesteaders of America conference was a, a place out in Virginia that we really met our first group of homesteaders and people that were doing this. Cause it can be really hard, um, to just do, we feel pretty alone here in this area that this is more of a, a big ag spot where there's just more big farms and not a lot of homesteaders, um, like Southern Missouri, there's just a hotbed of a lot of YouTubers and homesteaders. And, and, uh, and so it's something where it can be really isolating and alone. And that was something that really helped us kind of see the big picture of like, make all these friends that even if things aren't growing, but you can make those connections to where either you, you learn from each other or you set up collaborations to do with each other, or make contacts for whatever. And so that really kind of helped us get the ball rolling. And now it's right around when we hit like a thousand subscribers and, um, so just starting to work with other businesses and other channels really kind of opened our eyes to, you know, how can we make this productive beyond just our own goals of trying to grow this thing? 
Yeah, that's a good point. And that's been my first year. I've I've made some great friends and and kind of built some relationships just from just meeting people through the podcast and making connections and and um yeah, it's fun. And yeah, this is this def- definitely a, a homesteading yeah. mecca down here for sure. We're we're one of the the guilty culprits yeah. of coming out here and buying up a piece and and doing it. But um so do you guys not We really... always say we'd we'd we always say I was going to say, we always say we'd move down there if we, we have family up this way. Right. It kind of keeps us in this area, but otherwise we'd love to be in Southern Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with it being more big ag, I mean, are you, are you a part of any kind of local homesteading community groups or, or any kind of, is there any of that going on? Not really. We tried to start like a Facebook group a long time ago. Cause when Justin came through, there were maybe like 30 people that all came to like a little meetup. And we tried to start a group with all of them. And we, we, we've kept touch with a few of the couples from that, but yeah, it's been hard to really find that many. Some of our viewers are in the area. So we know some other people are, are interested, but yeah, it's been hard to find people in our area specifically that are, are doing it like we want to do it. Yeah. We just started a, we've been planning for months, but we just started a Facebook group. And uh, are planning on uh, our first live meetup. Probably, well, we're still planning that, but uh, we're hoping to hoping to get that going. I think there's a lot of people. I, I know there's a lot of people that are, are here homesteading, have been here, or moving here. So we're we're hoping to just kind of uh, get something together because we looked around and there really wasn't wasn't really anything. There were some Facebook groups that are, you know, more buy and sell groups and things like that uh, with a homesteading label on them, but. Uh, that's one of the things that we're we're hoping to develop down here. So, um, well, there's a couple of big events that we love going to down in Southern Missouri. The Baker Creek, um, their spring planting festival every May is one that we've gone to now for probably four or five years, and we love meeting other YouTubers and fans, and then just people that are homesteading or growing food. That's a great spot for that. And then there's the Ozark. the Ozark homesteading expo mm-hmm. um that's in marshfield marshfield yeah. yeah and so that's that this will be their third year of that and so that one's a that one's a pretty good one that they're having joel yeah Salton come out to this th- that one this year yeah yeah we were there this this past year in fact i had cheryl franklin who um who runs that show on mm-hmm. on the podcast uh, last summer so um yeah i met met some good friends down there and and uh we're looking forward to next year. Hopefully it won't be as hot, but you know, it's late August. So <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, beautiful. I, uh, really enjoy getting to sit down and talk with you guys. Um, for those who, yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, for those who aren't familiar with your channel, I mean, it's white house on the Hill, anywhere else they should go to look for you guys mm-hmm. or any other resources you have available. We post a, a weekly video, usually towards the end of the week, on our YouTube channel, and then um, we're we're still we're always working on posting some different types of content on on Instagram and Facebook, some little shorter form content on there, so um, you can get caught up with everything on there. And um, we our website's WhiteHouseOnTheHill.com, and you can always connect with us on there or send us any questions you have. Perfect. I'll put uh, I'll put links to all that in the show notes so people can take a quick quick move over that direction. Um, and with that, I'll just uh, again I'll thank you both for spending the time 
with me today and hopefully we'll talk again in the future. Thank you so much. We had, a lo- we had a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. My conversation with Jake and Becky of White House on the Hill. Definitely uh, great to sit down and talk with them. I've been watching them for a little bit. As I mentioned, my daughter is an avid White House on the Hill fan, so it was definitely a lot of fun uh, to to get to sit down with them. And um, we've learned so much. I think you will, too. If you haven't already uh, checked out their channel, definitely go check it out. Uh, super entertaining and very, very informative as well, especially um, we've learned a lot about raising birds and hatching and things like that. So we're about to venture off into the world of hatching and um, we're looking forward to using them as a resource as we go. They've got a lot of great videos on that. So definitely check them out. Uh, if you're looking for other YouTube channels, podcasts, books, um, I've put together a, a little PDF, just kind of a, a list of some of the top resources I think will be helpful in 2023 for those who are either new to homesteading or or, or kind of dreaming about it. Um, a lot of great resources there. Uh, I put that together and it'll be available to you for free in the show notes. You can just click the link there. And that is going to do it. I look forward to seeing you all next week. We'll be talking about chickens again, so you can look forward to that. And until then, this is Jason signing off, reminding you to do something today to improve your tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Plans and Provisions podcast. If you would like to stay up to date with everything happening around the homestead, head on over to the website at plansandprovisions.com. 